Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. What you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. You can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. Tonight is a very highly anticipated return guest. The one, the only, Jim Ward of Sparta. I'm excited, dude. Dude, I'm so excited that he's coming back because there was so much I wanted to get to last time that we didn't get to. But, you know, I'll tell him all this when he's here. Great person. Fantastic musician. I'm stoked. I'm really stoked. And I could I could use something to be stoked about because today was rough. But before we talk about ourselves, Tommy, Yo. the big news in the world of hardcore. The goofy show up in New York. Yes. There was a <laughs> Madball show in Tompkins Square Park. 2,000 people outside watching Madball and a couple other bands. Give, uh, let's start with you, Tommy. Give me your thoughts. And don't give me, like, the whole history of Tompkins Square Park and hardcore and all that. <laughs> I want to know what you, Tommy Blank, thinks of the show in general. Well, I take offense that people said hardcore concert, first of all. <laughs> That's some bullshit right there. Um, here's my thing. I, I look at it as, like, if people want to go out there and risk their personal safety or they feel comfortable with what they're doing – by all means, go ahead and do it. Um, the only thing that I do have an issue with that is, is if someone then gets it and gives it to somebody else that may be immunocompromised or elderly or have whatever issues, that's where I'm like, ah, fuck. But um, I'm a big free to choose kind of guy, man. Like you want to go and you know, jeopardize your personal safety and you think it's a, a, a calculated risk you've taken and you want to go do it, fucking go half at it, man. I don't give a shit. You know what? I completely agree with you. Get the fuck out of here, really? Yeah. That's okay, exciting. Good. Yeah, like I don't I don't give a fuck anymore. I I don't necessarily think all right, here's the thing. Like I'm not one of these people who's like so destined to follow the rules and be the best at following the rules and screaming about wearing a mask and you know, like like saying like, Am I the only one still quarantining? Like even now, like I'm not ew, one of those. People, ew. Do people yeah. really say that? Yeah, and I'm Ew. not one of the I'm not one of these right wing weirdos who's like my freedom. I don't wear a mask. I don't get a vaccine. Like I I don't do that. I'll tell you who brought this COVID. That Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I just at this stage 
I don't give a fuck anymore. Like, if you want to go out to the show, go out. I, I would prefer if people wore a mask and were safe for reasons you described, because it would yeah. suck if if it just spread a bunch more. But not everyone wore a mask. But you know what? I can't fucking control that. So I don't care. Yeah, I've always kind of been like, I think that's a ideology that I've had for a significant amount of time is just people are free to choose what they want. It, it, I, I'm always been this way with pretty much everything when it comes to you want to take certain substances, go ahead. You, you want to, you know, do whatever you want with your body, by all means, go ahead, do it. The instant it steps on my personal choice, that's when I am like, hold up a second. That's when I would question it. But like, here's my thing. I, did any of those people attending that show hurt me in any way? Did they affect me in any certain way? No, I got to see cool pictures of people like Madball playing and fucking Fury of Five and all that shit. And I went like, all right, cool. Good for them. Like, yeah, I was actually kind of stoked about it. It was just, it was cool to see everybody together having fun, especially at a hardcore show, because that seems like a distant reality. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I, I can only control what I do. When I go outside, I wear a mask. I'll continue to do that as long as we have to. I'm going to get vaccinated at the end of May. All I can control is what I'm doing. Yeah, I and I think that um, with like with hardcore in general, there's kind of like a very like DIY like fuck the rules kind of thing. So I think the not wearing a mask kind of thing went hand in hand with that. But also, yeah. I don't think people that were wearing masks. I, I mean, I wasn't there, obviously, but like, I, I the hardcore is a pretty accepting community, so I, I doubt those people were like heckled. But you know, um, it kind of highlights something that's going on not just in hardcore, but just in society in general. Is just that people are very polarized. They believe. Oh God. Yeah. They believe in one thing, and they will scream in your face about it. it it's it's kind of hard to think of anything in the last you know, prior to like 10 years in the past, like where people were so like fervent about their belief in something. Like I, I get like, you know, I believe in God, you don't. But like when people go like, I'm screaming in your face because you're not wearing a piece of cloth the government told us to wear. Like, uh, okay. Are you really, do you work for the government? Like <laughs> who, who, whose interests are you protecting? I don't fucking, I don't understand the the motivation here. I get it. It's like a personal safety thing. I don't know. It, it, maybe it's different where you are, but here in the city, you yeah. you still can't walk in anywhere unless you have a mask on. Oh yeah, no, that's that's it's just it's like that. Yeah, it's like that around here, it, Trenton especially. Like if I I went to the corner store on Friday, like you you need to have a mask on. Somebody's gonna say something to you. Yeah. Well, I'm too old and I'm too tired and I'm not gonna fucking fight people on everything anymore i just i just can't no i i i think uh i did have uh a couple good chuckles while reading some of the the uh ensuing comments on some of the posts from like john joseph and yes he's at the center of some controversy because he said black lives matter marched and no one said anything people smoked weed in washington square park and no one said anything and you know people are saying stuff about this show actually People said everything about everything. Like everyone, yeah. for anything that happens, there's someone to bitch about it. And it's it, it also depends on who you're listening to. 
(laughs) if you're listening to if you're listening to a bunch of people that are you know very willing to let their opinions be heard like but i think if i went to my mother's house and said mom what do you think about a bunch of people in Tompkins square park fucking going to go see some bands my mother is like very yeah you should always wear a mask we'll wear a mask until they tell us not to anymore until the science says that and i'm like okay but if i said mommy there was a bunch of people in a concert and they weren't wearing masks my mom would go good for them like i've always <laughs> yeah like it's you have do you call your mom mommy no it's funny we actually had this conversation the other day me my sister and i had this when we talk about her we say mommy did you call mommy today but when I'm at home, I say mom. I'm thinking about calling my mom mommy, and it really creeps me out. And I actually, I, I, when I talk to someone I don't know very well, I'll say my mother. Like, so if my boss is coming up to talk to me and he'll be like, blah, 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 blah. And I tell him the same story. I'll be like, well, I, I told my mom, I told my mother that there was uh, a, you know, a thing in Tompkins Square Park. But when I'm talking to like people like I, I know, like I, I just say, Oh yeah, mommy did this. You had different accents, didn't you? You, you fucking had different fucking accents. You're a goddamn you're on fucking on, on Sundays, you're fucking hanging out <laughs> with Daddy the Donkey. And on fucking weekdays you're dropping your R's in the big bad Southie projects. <laughs> when I meet people I don't really know, I call them mommy. <laughs> <laughs> how off-putting would that be <laughs> no no that would be something so what's up, what's up with you you're you're going into school now like the actual building yeah so i've been in the building for this is my third week in the building um i had students today how uh, was that did they cry did you no i mean it, this is kind of like the shitty part about going back is they this is standardized testing season april yeah. may so they came into the building and were promptly sat down in a classroom and said, here, take this test. Oh, yeah. It was kind of a bummer. We really didn't get any like hangout time with the kids. Um, yeah. So next week we will have, we will resume like regular classes. Um, and I could give you a little bit more about that then. But yeah, today was literally just, I was a babysitter. Stunk. Well, I'm having a really tough couple days. I didn't, I think I slept two hours last night. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm stressed, man. I'm stressed. Yeah, I, I I question everything these days. We've had this discussion before, but it, it's it's such a good thing to repeat. Sometimes when you're going through shit like that and it feels like the worst thing in the world, our initial reaction is, okay, so what can I do to change this and not feel this way anymore? Yes. And then what we've kind of both have kind of evolved into is, not fucking sit with it. <laughs> this is what's going to, you got to sit with this for a little bit. You have to go through it because ultimately the other side, the other choices we've made have been like, I will numb this by doing X or I will retreat. I will do something that will get me, make this pain go away or make this feeling go away as quickly as possible. And, and I can't do that anymore. You just can't. It's just not a way to live life. It sucks. But at the same time, it, oh, you're going to be a better person in the end. So fuck it. Well, tying into that, I think partially something else that's going on is I'm coming up on another year clean and sober. God damn. Next month. Where are you at? What, what you, this is what I will, I'm approaching, I'm approaching year four. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And 
So I, I, I believe there's some kind of uh, weird connection to the past of that time, like uh, physically of what's going on. And stay with me on this. Like this time four years ago, mm-hmm. I took a week off from work. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm going to kick. I'm going to stop. And then I'm going to be done. So, and then I'm like, well, it's Friday. I mean, I could, <laughs> I could at least have a good time tonight. And then I'm like, well, it's Saturday. And then I'm like, well, it's Sunday. Sunday turned into Monday. Monday turned into Tuesday. Tuesday turned into Wednesday. And then I realized I wasn't going to stop. Mm. And that was this week, four years ago. God damn. So I, I just stayed, I laid on a couch, passed out, and watched, rewatched The Sopranos. And then I think a month later, I ended up finally stopping. I, this is not even in the, in the same universe as that, but I had a really bad one the other day. I went to uh, 7-Eleven. Yeah. We, were out, we were out of milk, and milk in a house with a bunch of children that are under the age of seven is like an absolute fucking necessity. Like, it's for everything. So I was like, oh, yeah. Let, I'll run out to 7 go get milk. I walk in there, and God damn, if there's one of those people standing there with those goofy badges being like, hey, you want to try free vapes? And I'm like, No. <laughs> maybe what kind do you have <laughs> like, like, so I, I had a real moment of like no i'm just coming to get milk and he's like here just take the coupons and just out of politeness i was like okay that's fine and he handed me what was not a coupon it was like a little like pamphlet thingy and he's yeah. like hey if you want the coupons it's got to it's just got to swipe your id and i was like no that's the first step get the fuck out of here. Cause then what happens is, is they get your address and then they mail you shit. So even yeah. when I quit, I'll still like open my mailbox once a month and be like, Oh, the good people of Philip Morris have sent me. Free. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happened to me? What? My friend came over the other day and he, he was just vaping like crazy in my house. Don't you think that's kind of an aggressive move? I can't. I mean, I don't know. I've never really, I actually now we we used to vape a lot together, so I guess he thought it was okay. Yeah. But I I like him so much, I didn't want to be like, hey, could you not do that? Like I didn't, I don't know. I thought I thought I didn't want to like sound like a dick, but I I didn't want him to vape in my apartment. Either. Does it smell? That's yeah. My, oh, it does. See, that's, yeah. If you if you're not jeweling, you realize that it does smell. Okay. Yeah. See, I uh, I never even when I was doing it. I never really did it in an enclosed space other than my basement and my basement's pretty big. So excuse me. I never could really like smell it. Well, we're out of time and now we're going to talk to Jim Ward. Enjoy. God damn. That went fast. All right, folks, we're here now with Jim Ward. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You know, we've been highly anticipating your return. So I'm, I'm glad you're back. And I think we last spoke to you in October of 2020, and my whole life has completely changed and turned upside down since that time. How about really? you? What's what's going on with you? Um, yours sounds more interesting than mine, for sure. <laughs> well, here's what happened. Now, when we spoke to you, I was studying for a really hard certification, uh, PMP certification. I passed. I got the certification. I got a promotion at work. Congrats. Um, my relationship ended. Oof. There's a, there's a lot of fallout from that that I'm dealing with still. You can imagine. And everything just feels fucking crazy. I've had exactly the same day since I talked to you. Really? <laughs> just every, every single day is exactly the same. 
Oh my god. Dude, I I'm kind of jealous of people. I talk to a lot of musicians cuz we do this show every single week and a lot of people say that. I feel like every month of my life is completely different and I think a lot of that has to do with being relatively new to being clean and sober cuz I was such a raging alcoholic and addict for so long and there's like work I'm doing every single week basically to I don't know, change things, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that part. I just mean, like, nothing has changed. It doesn't mean I don't do anything every day. It just means a lot of it is the same. So a lot of, like, my non-music work is the same. Obviously, it's... it's uh, Not obviously, but thankfully, it's getting a little busier. Yes. Um, Music-wise is, like, I'm entering another cycle, but it's not unusual for me to be in this cycle. It's mm-hmm. unusual to be in the cycle as, with just my name on it, which is weird, but... Um, it's not unusual in my life to be working on a setup for a record. And then on top of that, I'm just working around the house. So, yeah. So you got the, now you are, you're married, right? Do you, you have yeah. a kid? No, I do not. Oh, okay. So you're married. You got the restaurant, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Are you open full capacity, Jim? We won't. You're okay. allowed, you're allowed to in Texas, but we're, so we can seat about 80 people in our place and we have it at 20. Okay. Uh, which is even that is like uncomfortable and weird. But essentially, when our governor opened up the state, we were sort of forced by our landlord to do something because it's like, you know, at that point, he's like, I'll just rent it to someone who will be a douchebag and make it into a sports bar and make tons of money. So you got to do something. So that's our, uh, you know, we're doing the best we can. But at least patrons, like when they go in, they feel comfortable because there is a good distance between them and other people. Yeah. And most of the people who come to our spot are are on the same wavelength that we are. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not like a Hooters. It's not like people are coming in and like, why do I have to wear a mask? People are like, <laughs> you know, most, most of the people are already in the same vibe as us, which is like, we're trying to be safe. We're still trying to live our life. But, you know, our staff's the most important thing in the world to us. So we're not going to take any chances with that just to make a couple of bucks. Good man. That's good. I, I admire your integrity. Thank you. It's, it's uh, you know, it's something that I work on all the time, as cheesy as that sounds. But it's, you know, everybody's sort of born with a blank slate, and then you got to kind of do the work, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's how I feel. At 35, a complete blank slate, and now I'm building the uh, person that yeah. I am. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the ultimate wonderful person, but then I, I had to check my ego there. <laughs> my, you know, my goal... And I say this in, on the new record, my goal is to just die the best person I can be, which means every day, doesn't mean I'm great every day. Like I fuck up and hurt people and say stupid shit. And then you got to go back and look at that and say, what What can I do to not do that again? You know, what? What? Yeah. why am I making the same fucking mistake over and over again? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When's the last time that happened to you? I'll, it just happened to me today, Jim. There was a wild coincidence that occurred in a group chat with some of my friends and I thought someone was making fun of me. So I said, fuck off. And then I <laughs> left the chat and it turned out it was a complete mistake. Yeah. And I, I felt really dumb because I, I do this more often than I'd like. So I, I got everybody together and I apologized and, and it's all good. When, when's the last time something like that happened to you? I'll be honest. It happens a lot. I'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'm an emotional person and I'm a, uh, I'm not always the most stable person. So a lot of times I'll either say or do something, especially to the people around you. You know, my, my wife is a saint 
has put up with me for, we've been together like 24 years. Jesus. That's, a, that's a lot of work. It's already a tough gig to, to be married to this profession on and off. And, and so, yeah, I got, I got no problem saying like, I'm a, I'm a work in progress and, you know, I think I'm getting there. I'm doing my best. Hearing that makes me feel much better because I'm very emotional. I'm very sensitive and I take things the wrong way. And I, I beat myself up because I'm like, am I, you know, why do I do this? Why can't I just not care like other people? But, you know, I don't think that's the case. I think, I think everyone cares to a degree. Yeah, I think so too. I think, my, you yeah. know, one of my biggest problems my entire life is that I'm so many, in so many situations, I'm just black and white. I'm just like, yeah. I, I either don't care at all or I'm just losing my fucking mind and causing <laughs> so much drama and craziness. Yeah. But it's like my my whole work is like trying to just get to the gray. You yes. Know? Just trying to get there and be like, okay, I can see the pros and cons here. You know? Have you ever used that in a song? I'm just trying to get to the gray. Mm, not yet. <laughs> you got to write that down. <laughs> yeah, but That's good. So let's talk about this new record. Now, the solo record has been announced yeah. And I'm so happy because last time we talked, you know, you were referencing kind of a record. Yeah. And a lot of people asked me, like, what's the record? What's the record? So I would just say nothing at all because I didn't want to, like, you know, blow the announcement. Right. I appreciate that. The announcement is out. Yeah. It's, oh, it feels so good. It's coming out June 11th on yeah. Dine Alone Records. Yeah. And I'm excited. The single oh, Paper you. Fish is awesome. I love it. Thank you. So let's talk about it a little bit. I would love to. I've been waiting. Yes. <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've been waiting so long to talk about this record. And, and part of it was, you know, last time we spoke was before the election. And that was a lot of the motivation is what the record was written in a really short amount of time last summer. And it was fueled by the anxiety about COVID and the anxiety about elections and the anxiety about, you know, being a white male in this country and not understanding what I could, you know, how I could shut up and do better. And, you know, so confusing. Um, and it just leaves you with a ton of anxiety is the only way I can put it. And so for me, making music has always been pretty therapeutic. Uh, so I just started writing riffs at night and they were coming out heavy. And I was like, you know, and we can get into like what the, how that led to the lineup of the record or whatever. But that was like the, the gist of it was, uh, I've been waiting to talk about this for six months almost, you know, just like, because it, you know, timing, <laughs> it's not my choice, but it is what it is. So I listened to the label because that's what they do for a living and I respect them. And they said, we don't want to put this out at the election. We want to put this out next year when we can do it right. And I said, all right, that's what you want to do. Yeah. So at this point, are you cool with that? I mean, you've been in the business long enough that you're probably just like, all right. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. I don't, I'm kind of one of those people that still sort of feels like I'm 19 or 20 all the time in a weird way. Yeah. And then occasionally I'm like, oh man, I've been doing this for a living for like 25 years. Like I've been doing this a long fucking time and I've made a lot of records with a lot of people. And every now and then it kind of, I, you know, myself reminds myself that, you know, (laughs) you know what you're doing. So yeah, like in, in situations like this, I let them do what they do. And that's, I'm not trying to reinvent what they do. That's their job, not mine. Yeah. 
So you said you're writing the riffs and they come out heavy. Do you mean like heavy-handed as far as the subject matter goes? Oh, no, I always write music first. So I'm just writing these riffs at night. Um, and, I, and I've sort of always written late at night and I always write on an electric, not plugged in. That's just the way I write. That's what I do too. Yes, to me, it's, I've been doing it since I was like 16. I started playing guitar when I was like 16 and I've always done it that way. Um, yeah. Mostly because I could play at night and I wouldn't wake up my parents. And then it just became my style. Yeah. That's crazy. It was like born out of necessity and now it's just totally. like, that's incredible. Yeah, because I would go out um, or like do schoolwork or whatever it was when I was in high school or go to band practice and then come home and want to work on the songs. But like, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night. And so I think what happens is I write this stuff at night and then my brain sort of works on the song while I'm asleep, which I've read some I've read some stuff about, which is, you know, to study at night is actually beneficial for some people because your brain processes it while you're sleeping. It has a ton of time and energy because you're shutting down basically. So then I would wake up in the morning and like we would make breakfast and have coffee. And then, you know, my, Christine would sit sort of in our guest bedroom where I record with the cats and read or whatever. And I would sit on a computer and finish a song like in an hour. And then I would send it off to Tucker and because he had really nothing to do, he would send me back like a demo at like four o'clock in the afternoon. So we would have in one day, just sort of this whole thing written. And it took about two weeks. We did, we did 12 songs together. And then I would send those to, to Ben Kenny. And he would say, yo, man, you, sh you should definitely do this on the song, Tucker. It'd be cool if you did this. Like sort of just giving us some feedback. Yeah. Um, and then I would alter that. Tucker went to the studio and recorded all the drums for the record in one day. Well sent me those. I did guitars and then I sent them to Ben. Ben sent me back bass lines and then I sang over them. And it was kind of all said and done. I mean, the singing and, and Ben took a little while, like a couple of weeks as we, you know, like he has other things to do too. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, yeah, I would say like it was all sort of wrapped up within six weeks or something like that. Wow. So you guys could just record this what, wait, were you going studio to studio or house to house? So I, I can work in my house, and then Tucker did his demos in his house and then recorded his drums in a studio, but then Ben has a studio at his house. So we all wow. sort we would just email files, and then, I, and then I got them all, sang in my house, sort of did the rough mix, and then sent them to Gabe Gonzalez, who plays with me off and on and does tons of stuff with me. Um, and he mixed and mastered it, and we were never in the same room together. Not once, none of us. Wow. I got to get on that tip. Tommy, we could be like starting a band and we don't even have to leave home. There's, there's so much stuff happening that is starting to come out from this time period. But like when I'm doing Friday beers, like I'll talk to the guys or girls before I do it. And they'll sort of yeah. be like, this is what I'm doing, but we can't talk about it. I'm like, yeah, I understand. I can't talk about my record either. But there's, <laughs> there's so much stuff coming from weird, weird stuff. Like so many people made records together it's going to be a really fucking insane year i think oh that's exciting and yes the friday beers is awesome i check into that and then i see you like setting up and drinking the beer and i'm like man i wish i could still drink beer that looks fun and i saw that you had uh, anthony green on yeah. i was like look at this jim ward talking to our friend anthony green two yeah. legends small, I love this. small world and some of that stuff is just covid instagram relationships so like yeah. I've, I've never met him in in real life but it you know like we ended up following each other because we have mutual friends 
Yeah. Uh, and then we just started like texting back and forth, like a very natural conversation. Like I saw something he posted and was like, oh, that that's amazing. And he wrote back, hey, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah. And it's ended up being like, I'm friends with, I can't wait to meet that guy in real life. Like Maddie Madison, I can't wait to meet in real life. Like all these guys are just like friends of friends. And it, it totally replaces what would be happening on tour, which is like, yes, you know, you're in a city and you know, you're, you're there with Tucker and you know, Anthony came by. It's like, that's just the way those relationships are built. But without traveling, I think all of us are, are a little bit missing those kind of uh, new connections, right? I know I am because I was looking forward to like going to shows to meet all the bands that I'm talking to or see them again if I haven't seen them in a while. And folks, the the Tucker that Jim is referring to is Tucker Rule of Thursday, drummer of Thursday, is drumming on Jim's solo record. Now, uh, Jim, when Anthony Green was on our show, he talked at length about how attractive he finds Tucker. Do you agree with that assessment? also it's one of those things and i'll say this about anthony too like these dudes are getting better looking with time which is (laughs) which is like it's kind of fucking annoying you know (laughs) it's just it's just bothering me i'm not i'm not a super vain person but part of me is like man i i wish i looked like a classic hollywood hunk yeah i i am a super vain person and i I, but I'm with you. Like, Tommy and I talked about this before. Like, Anthony, his hair just always looks perfect no matter what. And I'm like, God damn it. I want yeah. hair like that. He's got I'm, Kennedy. He's got Kennedy hair. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. Got, he's got that, like, it looks good when it's windblown. It looks good when it's longer. It looks good when it's short. It's just, it, and my mother always used to say when he came over, she would be like, if Anthony ever ran for office, I'd vote for him. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I, why? Like, because he's she's got like, the look. He, yeah. he, and it's, he has, he has that look of, he knows what's going on. Like, he gets yeah. it. And you're like, mom, you've talked to him before? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like a smart, confident, cool guy, too. Like, he's yeah. a nice, I mean, I only know him in this phase of his life. So I don't know, you know, before. No, he's, he's always been smart, confident, and cool. I yeah. will say that. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really, just a super nice dude. And it, cracked, oh, yeah. it, it really cracks me up on Instagram, which is my portal to the world. <laughs> yeah, same yeah. for us. So the record is going to come out in June. Now, when you yeah. when you were on the show last time, you mentioned a song where you showed it to your father. And yeah. I think you said he cried because he was so touched by it. Is that song on this record? It's Paper Fish. Oh, my God. Get out, really? Yeah, it's the first song. And the reason that it's the first song is because I told my team, and this is all perspective right they don't think of it as the best song i've ever written but i do so i said this is the best song i've ever written and i can only explain it in the sense that i sat down and it came out of me and it's the most honest thing i've ever written and it's i'm so emotionally attached to it that this is what i want to show people first and there was like there was a long debate because the second single is what people wanted to be the first single and i fought because honestly i lost that i gave i didn't lose a battle i gave up the battle between cut your ribbon and air on the right. first on the first Sparta record. Yeah. And it's always fucking bugged me. Always, always, always bugged me that we went with what I think everyone thought was the like the crazy song or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? The heavy song. And I was like, it's all about air. It's all about that song. Like this yeah. is the next step for me as a as a writer. And we always we always uh I will always regret that that I didn't fight harder for that. So this time I was like, you guys don't and I even told him in the beginning, like you don't even know what argument you're about to get in because i have like <laughs> i have like 20 years of of skills in this <laughs> defending uh. defending my choice of my music but at the end it was like you know i won 
So now yeah. the, the second single, which is which is a blast, you know, and Shauna Potter from More on Women sings on the next single, and um, oh, nice. it's a, it's super heavy. It was the first riff I wrote for the record. It's heavy and it's fast and it's uh, angry, and she's amazing on it. So, and we have a great director from New York doing a, a video for it. That's just chaotic and filled with blurps and glips and you know so they wanted to go heavy again on the single yeah i mean i know it's a yeah. different label but no but i think it's just that idea that like this is the most exciting song to me on the record and i'm like i understand that but i gotta lay down the, the groundwork for this like i need to explain the bridge between sparta trust the river and this record like i don't want to just bounce right to this um, this song, like I want to explain where I'm at, and I thought Paper Fish was a good sort of explanation. Yeah, a good bridge, and I I wanted to make sure we named that song because I I wanted to hear it in the context that your dad heard it, so now I can go back and listen to it again and listen even closer. And I, and I think it's the chorus, which is I want to be the best friend I can be. I want to die the best person I can be. Like that's that's my mission in life, and I think that that's something that made him feel good. That's amazing. That's amazing. So so there's some I imagined it to be like a just an overall more chill record since it was solo. So that it sounds like there's some more rocking full band stuff on here too. Oh yeah, no, it's not chill at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. All there's right. So well, many good I'm excited. So many guitars. So much shit going on. A couple of good friends guesting like Shauna and there's a, a girl from here named Adria uh, that plays in a band called Asterio Mance, Um mm-hmm. And she plays violin and sings on one song, but it's heavy. Like, it's affected violin. Uh, my friend Michael Adams plays guitar on a song. There's about 4,000 guitars on that song. <laughs> it's one of those things. He's going to be my guest on Friday Beers this week. And it's one of those things where um, I sent him the track and was like, do whatever you want. And he sent me like seven guitar tracks back. Yeah. Um, and I put them all on and he's like, Oh, I didn't, <laughs> he's like, I didn't mean use all of them. Like I meant use them in parts. And I was like, yeah, but I like it. It's, you know, it's cool. That's, that's amazing. It's, it's chaos. And then Gabe, oh. Gabe played on a couple of songs too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Is there going to be a, a Jim Ward solo band tour? Yes. At some point? Yeah. Yeah. That's the next thing for me. I'm, I'm pumped because it's, it's, I really want a tour as a three piece. And, yeah. and, because I get to play under my name, um, and actually Matt Miller from Sparta's in the live band, so it's hap- it's really Sparta just playing my songs and Sparta songs, but as a three piece. Mm-hmm. So I, I get to make them. I get to sort of reinvent a bunch of stuff that I've been playing for twenty years, um, which is going to be cool. Because I don't if I if I went on tour as Sparta and played those songs too drastically different, I don't think that's really fair in a lot of ways. Like. I was super excited to see Dylan at this festival in in uh, in Spain, mm-hmm. and I stayed. We actually stayed. My wife and I stayed extra days, and we had a friend come and meet us from Germany. And we went, and like ten minutes into it, I was like, "This is fucking awful! Like, this is the worst <laughs> shit I've ever seen." <laughs> like, I know the words that he's saying because I yeah. recognize them from songs that I love, but this is the worst fucking version. And you know, he could do whatever he wants. That's fine. I'm not saying. I know what's best for Bob Dylan. I'm just saying as a fan, it was awful. It was an awful experience. I just thought, <laughs> what a bunch of shit. And I left. That's like when people went to go see, do you remember when Sting was like touring again? Yeah. And he showed up and played like 15th century loot music. People <laughs> And people were like, 
Bro, fucking play Fields of Gold. What the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> or, or at least tell people, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think it's a bit of a bait and switch, you know, which I'm all for everybody growing and doing what they want. That's not my problem at all. But if the festival had said, like, Bob Dylan playing these really shitty bar band versions of his songs, I would have been like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to go. Like, if I go to see a hardcore band and they suddenly decide to do, like, an acoustic medley or something, I'm, right. I'm going to be disappointed. Right. Personally. Personally. Yeah, well, because it's a bait and switch. Yes. And I, there used to be all these stories that Elliot Smith would, he would never tell people what, if he was going to go solo or full band. And I know it's a little bit different because he was so fucking great, it didn't matter. But I, I like the idea of being able to build a career where that's somewhat accessible, but at least mm-hmm. there's some kind of warning. Like going to see Eddie Vedder play acoustic, like he plays Pearl Jam songs and it's mind-blowing, but it's not Pearl yeah. Jam, you know? So I'm just looking, I'm looking forward to doing this and having a, a three piece. And the only problem right now is our drummers in Australia. So it's a little difficult to figure out how this is going to work yet, but we're, we'll figure it out at some point. Australia. Holy shit. That's going to be a long uh, flight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may have not thought about this a lot. <laughs> so he's played with me in sleeper car a couple of times. And then he's played with me when I was doing like this when i did the solo record i went to australia and i played full band i i hired a band in australia so i didn't have to fly people to australia and that's how i met him and now i mean i love him so much i'm like let's go everywhere together he's so he's so much fun and that's kind of at this point in my career that's what's important to me is like make make the songs good and then have a lot of fun absolutely yeah once you get older it's just like i don't want to deal with any bullshit i just want to do it you know, no drama, have yeah. fun. That's it. I'm over that. I'm over yeah. that hard. Now, last time you were on, there was so much that we wanted to get to that we didn't even get a chance to talk about it. I think we pretty much only talked about Wiretap Scars Sparta because we ran out of time. But holy shit, the whole discography, classic. Now, we were talking about Trust the River, yeah, the last Sparta record. And you mentioned that people were, some people online were like mad at you saying, yeah. This isn't a Sparta record. Now, I've spent a lot of time with this record since that conversation, and anyone who says that is n- clearly not listening because the riffs are so Sparta. Mm-hmm. It is like, it is such a pure Sparta record. It's just not as crazy. Like, it's not as loud. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe people heard that it wasn't like super loud and were like, oh, whatever. But I love it. And Empty Houses. Yes. Is now like an all-time top three Sparta song for Tommy and I. We that's just so dope. Oh god, it's so good. You know, it's a Matt Miller song. That's why that's so dope to me that you you love it. Really? Yeah. He wrote it. Yeah. So the way we used to write is everybody would go in a room and we would sort of like. So I sort of am a riff writer. I'll I'll just keep throwing riffs out. Um, yeah. And you can see like different guitar players in the band change how things sound. Like threes obviously sounds different than Wiretap and Porcelain. Yep. But the, but the constant is kind of my my riff writing and my singing style or whatever. So this time when we were making Trust River, I was like, Matt, I got a bunch of stuff and I don't want to go in a room and because it's really only me and you in the band. Like, I don't want to go in a room and talk about it. Just write songs, you know, and then we'll go to the studio and we'll just fucking see what happens in the studio. And so he he came in with like three songs and Empty Houses immediately was just like, I want to sing on that. And it's a tough spot for him to be in, right? Because I have to want to sing on that song. So it's kind of a shitty gig, but he brought it in and I was like, immediately just write down seven lines that you think about 
You know, like I want I want it to be your lyrical launching point, and then I'll mm. take I'll take over and make it. I'll write that part. But yeah, I love that song. I love playing that song. I play the song acoustic on live streams. Um, it's so it's so I love that song. So yeah, and the little fuck it you throw in in the bridge I, there. I, <laughs> well, that's like, I was gonna say. I always I I used to have like a playlist that I would uh, put on in the car when I would drive to the skate park with my daughter in the morning. Yeah. And it was a lot of like, you know, instrumental stuff, but I put that song on there and I didn't realize I was like, <laughs> oh, like literally the first line is she says, fuck it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, <laughs> fuck. but keep in mind, it's six 30 in the morning and she's seven. She's like staring out the window, like looking yeah. at daddy, there's a raccoon. That's a deer. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right. Like she didn't even like glance at it. But as soon as I heard it, I was like, did that immediate like dad move, like slam the, the thing. Like, Oh, let me just turn this down real quick. I was like, I'm sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> She's like, I wasn't talking. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. I thought, he, thought you said something. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I said, fuck it. <laughs> exactly. How <laughs> great like, would, have been, would have been as a response. <laughs> yeah. So Matt, Matt wrote that line. I've never written, I've never sang an obscenity on a record in my life. I think never. I don't think so. I think there might be, I, I may have said shit. Oh yeah, I did. There's a, there's a line that I say shit on the, the quiet in the Valley record, but that's it. Like one word in 25 years. And then I was like, Matt, write the, write down like the first line of this song. And he's like, she said, fuck it. All right, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so when I got to the chorus or that little breakdown part, I was like, well, I think this is the only thing to do. Fuck it. <laughs> it's kind of liberating in a way. It was my first advisory. Like when the label, you have to fill out a thing that says if there's explicit content. Yeah. It was my first one. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so funny. So when you're writing with Matt, is there ever a situation where he brings a song to you and you're like, nah, I don't like that. And it gets thrown out. So he, like on this record, he brought in three sort of ideas. So they're not fully necessarily flushed out. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Empty Houses, he had written the, the guitar and everything. So I play what he played on. That's like 100% Matt Miller. Yeah. So the other stuff, you know, we may use later on and it's a good jumping off point, but I just wanted to make sort of a line in the sand with that record and just be like, I don't want to, I'm tired of doing it this way. Like I'm tired of going into a room and arguing about parts. And I just feel like what I'm trying to say is getting diluted. Um, And I could see why people would be, you know, disappointed or not think it's a Sparta record or whatever. And it's going to be funny because this record's heavier and people are going to be like, why isn't that, this? you know? Yeah. But at the, the the whole thing is like, I don't, I've said this forever. Like, I don't make records for your approval. Like, I make records for me. And I'm so, I'm so lucky that people have supported my career and, and we've been able to do all the stuff we've done. And all of that is a community. And even this record, it has my name on it, but there's 40 people that made this record happen. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not trying to write a hit. I'm not trying to be popular. I'm not trying to be rich. Like, none of that shit has ever mattered to me. So when people are like, I'm really disappointed, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, it doesn't, (laughs) (laughs) it just does not matter to me. I don't owe you anything. And I think that that's like, I think you have to have, I have to have that mentality to do what I do because it's already, you're already defeating yourself. I mean, me as a as a musician, I'm already doubting everything I do until the point that I'm done with it. So yeah. if somebody else is like, hey, you missed, I'm like, oh, no. No, I did not, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I can tell me I miss, but not you. Yeah, you don't get to do that. I don't owe you anything. And exactly. Did, and, and that's the other part of like 
I've had enough ups and downs in my career where fans think that they have the right to say, you know, like when the first time at the drive-in stop, people would be like, it's your fault. And I fucking hate, you know, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't, play, <laughs> I don't play in a band for you anyway. And like, you don't even know what happened, but yeah, it's, it kind of blows my mind. And now I'm old enough where it's just, I just will look at them and be like the audacity of you. <laughs> like just someday you're going to grow up and remember this conversation and be like, man, I was an idiot. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's young kids that are into the music. And like you said, they have no idea what happened. So they just make up a story for themselves to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is fine. Keep your story. I just, again, I don't care. It's not my, it's not my thing. To, to write a hit song, I mean like a really big hit song. I think like, can a regular band just write a song and have it be a hit? Like in my mind, I'm like, it has to be like the 10 producers all writing the hit songs and then you work with them and they like slice you off one and that goes on your record and then it becomes a hit. I mean, I just think of Nirvana. Like they just wrote songs and they were the biggest songs and the biggest band in the world. And That's yeah, true. I feel like that doesn't happen anymore. I know, you know, where I was having this conversation with someone the other day, I think that, I think that stuff is happening in, in hip hop more so, more so than in rock. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah we're we're pretty deluded I think in the rock scene. Like there's there hasn't been a band like Nirvana for us since Nirvana, and then it's just now I think the stuff that is capturing the youth energy and um, I don't know I just I don't think it's I think it's happening but I think it's happening in 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 microbursts and smaller communities of people and it's not just like you know it's it's not one form of media sending us the stuff like. You know, the one arm scissor was on MTV2. It came out in like September of that year, I think in August, maybe in August. The video may have come out in August. Um, and it was a number one most played video on MTV2 in the, in the year 2000. Oh, wow. Or 99 or whenever it came out, 2000, I guess. But that, they did that in three months. So that, you know, how many times they played that? So the idea that we were selling records was because it was just getting shoved down people's throat, which is, it is what it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the idea that, that that's going to happen now, there is no MTV, MTV2. And you guys just wrote that song, right? You didn't have like a producer no. like write half of it for you or anything? No, no, not at all. No, that, and that record was written really fast as well. Yeah. I think that's how the best stuff happens, quickly. Yeah, it was good, but it was just, that whole thing was like the right place at the right time. That's how those things happen. But now it's just, that was like the right before the internet blew up. Right. Like, it's hard to remember that, but that was like, we, you know, that record was like the first record that got released physically and digitally on the same day. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. I, I only know that because it's in the Beastie Boys book. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading the Beastie Boys book and I was like, oh, wow. How weird is it that my band is in this book? <laughs> that must have felt good. Yeah. I mean, it just reminded me that and that's, again, one of those things where it's nice to be reminded that not only have I done this a long time, but, you know, whether I'm, I'm in a band or out of a band or whatever the case is, like, that history is pretty crazy. And it was pretty fun. And um, uh, I've had a great life, man. I mean, yeah. I, was on, I was on Grand Royal. Yeah, like, that kind of blew me away. I remember, <laughs> crazy. Uh, I think I was, I was working at the, so I was in college and I worked at the radio station part-time. And I remember that came in and I was like, it came in the grand Royal package, like with like a t-shirt and like, and I was like, wait, what is this? Like, wait at the drive-in, like, <laughs> wait, like Texas at the drive-in, like at the drive-in, like 
relationship of command? And they're like, yeah, dude. I'm like, okay, fuck, man. Like, fuck, that's crazy. <laughs> and then that, you know, that because we were on Grand Royal, which got, uh, was picked up by Virgin, then we had access to all of this like crazy Virgin staff around the world, which is, you know, going back and looking at it, may have been led to some of the anxiety yeah in our unit of just being like this fuck a little bit too crazy maybe yeah i can't imagine dealing with that or anything else at what 20 21 years old yeah i was 23 when it came out but like so what are some of the things that you like that came with that could you be like i want uh, a jag stang and i want it to look like could you (laughs) (laughs) no none of that stuff existed to us at least to, to me or like coming from the, the punk rock scene, none of that was something that I would even imagine. Like I never asked for stuff. We never asked for stuff. Yeah. Like it was, it was pretty rare. Like we were pretty self con- like self-contained unit. I mean, it's to the point where I was like complaining one day, like about we were on, like we were on the street. We used to stay at this place in New York called the 3030 or the dirty, dirty. And we were on the street switching out, amps to flight cases so that we could fly to this show in uh new orleans but it's like three in the morning and we're like switching out amps in cases and somebody was like giving me shit when we got to new orleans about something i was like fuck you we were up like all night trying to get the shit ready to get on a plane to come here to play this fucking show and they were like well we'll just get you guitar techs and i was like what is that i don't know what that is like (laughs) what are you talking about i mean we had like friends with us that would help us with guitars but i didn't realize there was like crew you know what i mean like you have your sound guy and then you have your guitar guy but i didn't realize you know they're like oh we can you can have a crew that does all that stuff and then you sleep i was like why why would we do that so you were so like new you didn't even know the resources you had at your disposal oh i had no idea for sure and i mean part of that is on me i think other guys were way more aware of that stuff yeah but i was kind of i like to go to the after party uh yeah i'm with you on that i i it was the same thing for jobs i didn't start to even understand anything until i was 30 and you know i I figured out that there's like an hr department and you can ask them for stuff and yeah i don't know like i figure out everything very slowly me too when at the drive-in broke up and then mars volta starting up and then sparta starting up i remember when this all happened and there was a lot of hype around both bands and there was like divisions among my friends. My, my friends were like, oh, Mars Volta is going to be better. And other friends were like, oh, Sparta is going to be better. And I, I was such an asshole at the time. Like I, I was like, I'm not listening to any of it. Because anything, anything that had any amount of hype, I refused to listen to it for some reason. Yeah. And like both bands had a lot of hype surrounding them. And then several months go by and then I'll listen to it. I don't know. It, it's just a weird thing that I used to do. Were you guys like privy to that? Was there like, oh, like we're going to be the best? Or was there like any kind of like competition type slant? Um, There was a lot of... uh, So I've made it this policy my whole career to not talk shit in the press about pretty much anybody or when all that stuff happened. I I pretty much, you know, try to just either avoid it or not say anything that I would regret saying later. It's a weird thing because... It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you could, you could be mad at your mom, um, yeah. but, if, but if somebody else said something about your yeah. mom, you'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of like that. Like we were so close that when people would be like, fuck that, Ben, I'd be like, fuck you. Like, wow, uh, who, who gives you the right to 
but they would be trying to do it to win our favor. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're on your side. And I'm like, go fuck off. Like, you're not on my side. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no side for me. Like, these are, we had an incredibly intimate life together. Like, incredibly intimate. And the idea that somebody could pass judgment on that was so absurd to me at the time. Yeah. And it still is to this day. Like, you don't get to, you know, like all the stuff that happened a few years ago, people, it started that whole thing with people again, like, fuck that. And I'm like, no, it's not your, you can say whatever you want as a fan, but you can't tell me any of that. That's absurd. Right. And I just don't, it's not going to do me any good. You have a mature attitude about it. And, and I like that. Was there ever an instance where someone talked shit about you and you still didn't talk shit about them? A hundred. (laughs) Wow. You are, you are so like, I'm in a situation now where someone is like, uh, talking a lot of shit about me. And I'm, I'm wondering like, should I take an opportunity to speak up for myself or should I not say anything? Like what, how did you handle it? So here's my advice going through this stuff publicly, right? It says more about them than it says about me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you can say whatever you want. Your story can change. I can't make people tell the truth. Yes. Um, but I can hold myself up to that standard and I can not regret talking shit later in life. Mm-hmm. And I think it just says more about the people that are saying either untrue or unfavorable or whatever, like whatever, man, it's on you. And it's not that it doesn't hurt your feelings. It's just, that's the truth. Like I can't, if you go and try and defend yourself to everything, especially like press wise, like if I went yeah. back to like every interviewer and was like, that's actually not true. That's not the way it happened. Like, first off, that's a lot of time and energy for something that I guarantee 99.99% of the world or more doesn't give a shit about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So why, why bother? Why am I using my energy to do that? Why don't I just make records and try to be a good husband and go to the restaurant and wash dishes and you know you know i'm glad we talked about this 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 gives me something to think about a hundred percent it says more about the other person than it says about you and it's it's just not like we don't even have libel laws in this country basically like you can just say whatever you want do whatever you want and it's like the wild west so what are you gonna do you know another thing i was curious about looking at the history of sparta mars volta at the drive-in Sometimes someone will leave Sparta and end up going to play with <laughs> Mars Volta or at the drive-in or whatever else. What is the Jim Ward policy on that? Do you care? I don't have a policy on it. You just don't care? I, I mean, it's just, what am I going to do about it? Like, if someone goes and plays with at the drive-in or Mars Volta, like, are you still cool with them? Or is it a case-by-case basis? Well, it just does I mean, whatever I think doesn't matter. I think people got to do what makes them happy and what's best for their life, and the whole thing is if there's repercussions in our personal life, then there's repercussions in our personal life. I don't, if that's taken into account on, on that person's end, then what am I to say about it? I mean, they've already said what they're going to say, right? I think that goes with anything. Like if you're going to leave, if you're going to leave my company to go work for another company, I'm not saying the bands are a company, but I'm just saying like in the work world, right. Um, I mean, maybe that means we don't hang out anymore, but also like, I don't, I don't own you. I don't control you. I can't make that decision. I guarantee that that was already put into the equation before you made your decision. Ah, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I know for sure if I was going to 
if I was going to play with somebody that was going to make somebody else mad that I was playing with them, I guarantee I agonized over that before I did it. Yeah. Right. So what does it matter? What their opinion is like, I've already, you know, we, you see this a lot with like college basketball. These kids are going into the, the trading portal mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if people like basketball, but I love basketball. So, um, and it's, it's a weird feeling cause they don't necessarily trade, but they're making this public announcement that like, I don't want to be at the school anymore. Maybe, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. And then you start thinking like, well, maybe we don't want you here. You know, like all that stuff had already been thought about before they did it. It's not like they went into the portal and then we're like, oh man, the fans are really upset. Like, of course the fans are upset. You know, <laughs> like, the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. You know what? That's my policy too. Like I'm never going to tell anybody what to do, but if you do certain things, I might be upset. Yeah, and it's already been thought about. And that that would be my only absurd conversation if somebody is like, why are you mad at me? You know why I'm mad at you. Or like, you know why we're not hanging out. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a question to it. This isn't... We're not fucking eight. You're not not completely oblivious to reality, right? Like you... No, we all all know what's going on. And like, for some people, it's a good move. You know, like you want to bounce from this one to that one. All right. Yeah. It's... I mean, it's just whatever. I don't like the game playing because I've been in this situation where it's like, oh, what? It's like, no, we we both know exactly what's going on. Let's just acknowledge it. And that's it. We don't have to play this game of like, oh, you know, the gaslighting and all that stuff. No, look, bands are are political. Everything is, every relationship is political. If you think a band isn't political, if you don't think there's people going out to dinner to talk you into something against somebody, like all that shit happens all the time. And wow. it's, it's part of the job. It's, you know, it's the whole thing is like, you know, when I got kicked out in 2016 and people were like, that's so fucked up. And I said, you know, I, I live by the sword and I die by the sword. Like I bought, I bought into these rules. This is what happens. Like sometimes, sometimes you get kicked out. What am I going to do? Sue them? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's stupid. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I, fuck man. I mean, I play in a band and I've kicked people out and I've gotten kicked out and that's what it is. I think that's a great point though, is kind of like there's, you have a, you have a well-defined code for yourself. And if other people abide by it, you're like, Oh, so be it. That's great. That's I, I agree with you. But if people don't, you have the idea that you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to let that go. Like, because again, what I, I keep hearing you go back to is it's time, energy and effort spent towards something that literally has no result in the end. And and one hundred percent. And this is like pretty much the only thing I ever say that's like a little bit negative is I cannot make people tell the truth. I can't. Yeah. So I'm not gonna spend my time trying to defend myself from shit that's not true. I can't make people tell the truth. So believe what you want, do what you want. I don't care. Like I'm I can't spend my time worrying about it. I like that. Yeah, and that goes for all of life. I'm not just saying in a band. Just saying like your whole life, you're going to have friends like, I mean, you had a relationship fall out. They're going to say things and you're like, that's not true. Like, you can't make them tell the truth about that. There's no there's no way you can call and be like, if you don't tell the truth, I'm going to something. You know what I mean? It just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't work that way. That's not human. It's the same thing with doing press for me. Like, why would I spend my time dealing with that stuff when I have an opportunity to talk about something I'm really proud of? I love it. Yes. So, and like, it may give you a better headline, like... Jim says stupid shit, like whatever. But, <laughs> but what I, I would rather have is like, hey, this dude's really proud of this song and it made me listen to it and now I hear it a different way and you should check out the record. Like, 
That's what we should be talking. Jim, do about. you ever get those things where you can clearly see someone is a- angling towards like they they have a line of questioning, almost like it's like a deposition, like they're leading you towards something, and they're like, "Hey, say something about Cedric or Omar," and you're like, I- "I've been doing this a super long time." <sighs> like, yeah, I've done. I mean, I've done thousands of interviews, and I always think it's funny when someone's trying to be clever about oh, it. God. And- yeah. Because I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that one in a while. Or, <laughs> <laughs> do you straight up call them out? Like, I'm not. Oh uh, no, we're not doing this. Oh, for sure. It's always the last question, and it always starts with, you know, I have to ask, and I'm like, you know, you don't, <laughs> because I don't believe in I don't believe in the word have. Like, not have as in possess, but have as in to do something. Like, I don't I don't believe in that word as a as a uh, a rule. I don't think yeah. you, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to ask a question and then you can follow that line all the way up to you don't have to breathe. You can choose yeah. to, you can choose to not yeah. breathe. You can choose to not eat. So like whenever <laughs> someone is like, you have to do that. I'm like, Oh, you do not want to do this with me because yeah. Yeah. I love arguing I, this. As soon as someone tells me I have to do something, it's almost guaranteed that I never will. But even that, you don't have to. You just don't get paid. Exactly. <laughs> I always do that with, with classes. Like, I always think about, like, when I'm, like, talking to kids in the first couple weeks of school, like, setting up, like, in my head, I'm going, like, the instant you set up a rule, there's at least one or two kids going, I can't wait to fucking do that thing you just told us not to do. <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> so I never set things up as, I don't want you to do this. I always try to frame things in the positive of, like, all right, guys, I want to see you doing this thing and I want to see you doing this thing. Never, I, I, I try to avoid being like, I don't want you doing this. I, 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 yeah, yeah. and it, it is difficult, especially with a classroom, but I think like with applying that to life in general, just even like raising my kids or just conducting myself in a normal day, like thinking about like, all right, I can either look at this as something that I can't get done or something that I don't want to do, or this is something I can kind of put myself in the mindset of, I can do this and I can push myself through it because I've done it before. Um, it really does come down to that, like, you know, that growth, like of like, I'm going to be able to do this. Like I, I can try and do this rather than being like thinking about all the obstacles that are in the way or the way I feel at that moment or the way it might be perceived afterwards. What are the, the, you know, whatever consequences intended or unintended. And it's like, no, like, I can literally change my mindset about this and the way I think about it and address it the way I choose to do it. It's a lot of work to do all that other stuff. It certainly is. It's a lot of energy, you know? So, uh, Jim, I have to ask. <laughs> no, this, <laughs> this isn't going to be a weird question. I was talking to Tommy. Like, I was driving or something. He's like, yo, listen to the At The Drive-In song, Lopsided. And I was like, okay. And then he's like, that's a Jim Ward riff. Nope. No, Cedric riff. Damn. Really? Yeah. It sounded like such a Jim Ward riff. I think it's a Cedric riff. Dang. Oh, so because our our whole conversation was like, you know, we're like we're very into you and and your riffs. So like we were trying to identify Jim Ward specific riffs. Oh yeah, but he's he's such a good riff writer. Really? I didn't oh, even yeah. know he played. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. That is cool. All right, so I'm I'm shifting back to Sparta now. Now, an- Porcelain, another classic Sparta record. So many great songs. Let's talk about this a little bit. We're hot off the success of Wiretap Scars. Yeah. We're recording a new record. Set the stage for us a little bit. So much death 
there's so much death around that time period and it, it, it altered me a lot. So on the wiretap tour, uh, my grandfather was like the n- number one dude to me died. Uh, a couple of months later, my cousin Jeremy died. Yeah. In between that, our really good friend Ray died. So like we had like three big deaths in a row. Um, and that was, that was ending the, the wiretap tour. So going in to make this record was, I think it was probably, probably more medicated than I should have been. But it's just to me, it's like a really raw record. We went to the desert and wrote at Rancho de la Luna, which is like the, you know, the Queens kind of home base, Josh's home base. Yeah, and he was cool and and sort of gave us his blessing to go into that space and work. And then Mike Major came and produced, which is our our hometown boy. And I think that's we, I think what we needed was sort of just family around. Like we kept our some of our crew guys around just on salary, just, just like for whatever, just <laughs> just, cause just we, to hang out, just because we needed it, you know. And yeah, I probably was, um, you know, there's a great Matt Miller song on that song too, called on that record called Lines and Sand, where that's his yes. that's his riff, and it's such a beautiful riff. Like when that guy comes through, it's so huge. Uh, and I think, dude, there was just so much death in that year i think tony lost somebody too i'm pretty sure i don't know if that was i think it was the same time period but it's hard because we used to work at cole studios a lot the rehearsal studio um so all those memories kind of run into each other but you know it just feels like sometimes we have a we have like not a curse around us but i think i've been lucky enough to have a lot of friends and unlucky that you've had so many friends that your percentage of death is higher than most people yeah it's a un, we have an unreal track listing of fallen comrades. It's shitty. Yeah, I I think I only know three people very close to me that have died. One being my brother when I was young, he was diabetic. One being my cousin who died to of an overdose. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, and another friend who died of an overdose. And sadly, you know, being involved with what I'm involved with now, like, you hear about a lot of overdoses, but sure. those deaths stay with you. I yeah. mean, they, they they really affect you. So you said, you know, you said it's a raw record, you're kind of medicated, so I guess we're dealing with a, a lot of emotion going into this thing. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, it's not like an easy record for me to listen to. Yeah. And there's sort of a few songs that I still play off of it, but it's not, it's a pretty, you know... Like, I guess the word would be vulnerable. It's a pretty vulnerable place. And um, this guy that toured with me and is still one of my best friends, uh, we call him Gabe Brody. He used to be with the Murder City Devils. He was with us through that whole thing. And he kind of, he was like my roommate. And he would, he didn't, he took like that whole time off from drinking. I think he never really said it, but I think he was just taking care of me. But so he, he was our guitar tech and then became our tour manager on Porcelain. I think he was our tour manager. But he was he was one of the guys that stayed with us like through the whole recording process. But he was, you know, because it's it's nice to have somebody that's not in the band that's there that you can be like, what is wrong with these guys? You know, without starting like a fight within the band. <laughs> yes. But just, just having somebody who has your, you know, has like the whole band's interest in mind, but definitely like is a sounding board for your insanity or whatever. But yeah, we, he took care of me. And I owe him a lot for that time period because I was a, a hot mess, for sure. Yeah. How old were you at that time? 26, probably. Oh, yeah. So still young. Uh, you know, 
End Moraine, an excellent song on that record. I actually, the chorus of that song inspired me to write a chorus. <laughs> like, I, I, I took your idea where it's like, I want to level this place, everything can go. Yeah. Like, I, I loved how pissed off that was. So I, I was inspired, and mine was like, uh, I don't want to be the bigger person. I just want to burn this whole place to the ground or something yeah. like that. It's a common feeling when you're mad. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was. Yes. It's hard being the bigger person, like we were talking about earlier. It's, I mean, some of that stuff you're just railing against, like, you know, I was on tour with when he died. I was on tour when he died. I was on tour when he, like, I'm just fucking mad. Like, I'm missing all this stuff. And I don't have any way of, um, see, here's the whole thing is like when you're young and if you have success and you're young, like nobody wants to fuck with that formula. Like nobody's like, at least in my life, nobody was like, Hey man, you need, you need a therapist. Like you, you are killing yourself. Everyone's like, you need to stay on tour because who knows how long it's going to last. And we better, we better take every opportunity. We better do this fucking radio show in Atlanta because all that stuff is not healthy. Like people talk about mental health now, 20 years ago, it was not talked about at all. It was like, oh, just give them more booze. Just give them drugs. You know what I mean? Like, just take them out, buy them dinner. They'll be fine. Was there ever even a consideration on your part back then for like therapist or anything like that? Not at all. I mean, because you don't see, you don't see the problem. It's hard to see. I mean, you're in it. So you burned out, right? Didn't you? You, did. you, you like took a, you stopped in the middle of a tour and I, I think like 2005 and just said, I got to stop for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It was in the. I guess it was the end of the porcelain tour. I don't think I ever came back. Yeah, that whole story, and I've told it before, is is uh, Lancaster Chameleon Club the night before. Mm -hmm. Somebody came up to me and was like, you saved my life. Like, your music literally saved my life. And I was like, you know, I've I've heard that before because people are so connected with, to music and it's so important to them. And it's not, it doesn't have to do with me. I understand that, but I understand how music can do that for somebody. Mm -hmm. So I, I had this whole conversation with them and then I went back to the hotel and I just couldn't sleep and, and I just kept looking through my phone for somebody that I trusted that would tell me to stay on tour. Like I went through every friend I could think of that was like, I could call and be like, hey, I'm really bummed out. Um, can you talk me into staying here? And I couldn't think of one person. So I basically just walked into my tour manager's hotel room and was like, um, I, you got to fly me home right now. Like, I don't, I don't want to be anywhere on earth. So Whoa. it's a really, I'm like in a really dangerous spot because all I, all I kept thinking is like, who, I don't have that. Like, I don't have anything right now that's going to save my life. And I'm a dark person and I understand that and I can deal with it most of the time. But those are the instances where I was like, I need to get home to, to Christine, like right now, like right fucking now. And I've never left a tour. I've never even missed a sound check in my life. In my whole fucking life, I've never missed a sound check. And I just had to leave. And it was fucked up and I felt super bad, but... At the time, it was like, we could finish this tour, but we will, we will never make another record. I will never... I, that's how I felt at the time. It's like, I, I can't live through this anymore. And I need to stop. And you had pretty much been on tour since Wiretap Scars came out, right? I had been on tour since I was like 19. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Even more. Yeah, I'd been on tour for like probably full-time seven years by that point. At least you had the ability to do what you needed to do for yourself. I think it's weird that that conversation happened with that person. Like, I think they did more for me than I will ever have done for them. And I don't even know who they are. I don't, I don't know how I would ever find them. But 
I probably owe them. It's one of those things, like even playing the show, I kept thinking like, God, that was such a heavy conversation. And it's not like I haven't had that conversation before, but that time I needed to have it with somebody. It was, it was, you know, it's, it sucks to be the other guys in the band in that situation. Like it sucks. And I felt awful because they can't do anything and I'm fucking up their life. And I know that like, it's super hard. And you're coming home and telling your wife, like, I'm crazy. And I'm also not going to get paid anymore. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> like, wow. Like, it's not a fun situation to be in, but, but I also think something inside of me was definitely uh, pulling some like emergency handles for sure. Yeah. It sounds like it. Like, I'm still amazed that I managed to get a therapist and do all the stuff that I did. Like, I remember, like, walking around in Penn Station, cold-calling therapists, and they're like, no, we can't get patients. No, yeah. we can't have any new patients. And just, like, trying to figure shit out and just not knowing what to do. And that that's the hardest part. Even if you decide that you're ready for help, yeah. like, actually getting the help can be so difficult. So Yeah, and there's a lot of room for improvement in our world with that, that we could all oh, do, God. you know? Yeah, especially in this country. I think it's one of those interesting things. I have some friends that are like really famous and sober mm -hmm. and they're like if anybody asks me for help like anybody I, I will help them yes you know like they're like i have a i have an obligation like to to life which is which is crazy i don't think people know that but if somebody was like in that serious state of mind and they asked them for help they would be i would be 100 percent obligated to to help them and i've seen other celebrities say that as well but i think it's interesting i think it's an interesting part of recovery yeah the selfless uh self-service thing i myself am uh am into that you know i would help my greatest enemy well maybe not my greatest enemy but no, my would. second greatest enemy no you would i would help you would no i i would help anybody if they really needed it i of mean course. you have to yeah exactly yeah back then playing and touring in sparta could you like was that it like you could just survive being in sparta and being on tour like i mean like financially oh yeah that's a good deal. Few few bands get to experience that. It's crazy that my last job was when I was nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking. About I mean, I work. I work now, and like I've. I mean, obviously, all of this is a job. But and when I stopped touring, we just started opening businesses and running them like bands, where it's it's not about making a ton of money. It's just about surviving. What was the job you had when you were nineteen? I was a waiter at a at like a chain diner. I was. I did the graveyard shift on the weekends. It was awful. I always think about that. Like, if you had to go to a job interview, like, could you explain this twenty-year gap in your? <laughs> I think about it all the time. I thought about it a lot during COVID, for sure. <laughs> when I was like, "Man, I'm gonna have to like really figure out my life," and I was like, "What am I gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> there's a. I have no skills at all. There's a comedian. I remember he did. Say, he like did a whole bit about this, but he was like you know, can you explain this huge gap on your resume? And he's like, oh yeah, I stood in front of strangers and told dick jokes. So is that going to help yeah. me here? Like, no? Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll find somewhere else to work then. <laughs> what if you were at a job interview and they're like, can you explain this gap in your employment? And you just slid your discography across the <laughs> desk. Uh, I hate to do it, but I have told people in situations similar to that. Like, can you just Google? Because uh, it's, it's, it's easier if you... Like, not in the exact same situation, but there's been times where people are like, I don't understand what you do. And I'm like, it'd be so much easier if, if you just look it up. Yeah. Because it's going to say stuff that I'm not comfortable saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
never going to tell yeah. somebody how many records I've sold because I, first <laughs> off, I don't know, but also I wouldn't, I don't know because I don't want to know. Yeah. Cause you don't want to be the guy like throwing that number around. Like I just, I think, yeah, I just have no interest in it. <laughs> so I don't know why. I think we're going to have to do a, like a second episode <laughs> at some point because <laughs> we're already like, I'm running out of time. And we're only to porcelain. <laughs> yeah, well, Jim, we're going to get you back as many times as we can, believe me. I'm in. <laughs> that's, that's great to hear. Well, Tommy, do you have any uh, specific questions for Jim? No, we nailed most of it. I think that my biggest thing was like trying to isolate riffs like from older at the drive and stuff. <laughs> that's what I spent my time doing, being like, wow, I wonder if this is Jim's. <laughs> and I think sometimes in that, in that scenario, I would try to emulate his riff writing. Ah. Okay, because I'm a I'm, because I'm a huge fan. Yeah, there's you know what I do want to point this out. This is one of those things that uh, there is the ending riff on Invalid Letter Department at the end. Mm-hmm. Who wrote that? Because that is one of those ones that that for me that crossed the line between like this is just the heaviest, most emotional. Like that's when I when I want people to hear at the drive-in. I'm like. Listen to the last minute and 45 seconds of Invalid Letter Department. I want to say that most of that was me, that whole song, m- musically. Okay. Like the riff, the the sort of, I don't know, we, we didn't, um, until he started doing that like spoken word thing, that song was not well appreciated amongst us. Okay. Um, and then he did that and it was like, oh, fuck, this is heavy. So I don't know. I mean, but also that stuff was just a lot of us playing in the room together. So I wouldn't, I'm not trying to take credit for it, but that's that's definitely my style. So... Also, do you ever, and this was, uh, this actually goes back to Anthony, Anthony Green. <laughs> so when we, when we used to listen to At The Drive-In in the car, he didn't, we couldn't figure out some of the words to some of the songs. So Anthony would make up his own words. Yeah, it's a common thing. Okay, I was going to say, do you ever have people come up to you and be like, hey, I love that yeah. part in the song, and then completely misquote it, and you're like, that's, that's not what's being said there. <laughs> yeah, it used to. I think when I was younger, it used to kind of make me embarrassed or mad. Like I was defensive of it. Like you don't even take the time to read the lyrics. But as you get older, you're like, yeah, it does sound like, you know, chicken with a waffle iron or whatever. Like, <laughs> like I, I get it for sure. I mean, he's, he's a wordsmith, you know what I mean? So it's hard to, yeah. it's not, that stuff is not a common, he does some weird stuff, man. He's not doing like basic rhymes. He's saying like inertiatic bivouac. bivouac and, like, all yeah, kinds that's of- the one that Anthony used to make up. What did he say? I have to think. Anthony used to say something instead of bivouac tenure. It was the fuck. <laughs> it was just like, it was like something back 10 years. And I was like, that's not it. I'm like, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> oh, we, would, we would sit in the control room because we didn't see any of the lyrics until he would sing. You know yeah. what I mean? And then we would sit there and listen and be like, holy shit, this is. It would, I've always been amazed by that ability. Yeah. Lyric writing is the hardest part. Lyric writing and putting the voice to it, honestly, or in my opinion. Yeah. That dude's gifted, man. Yeah. Big time. All right. So let's recap here. Now, we've got the solo <laughs> record, Daggers, coming out on June 11th, right? Yes. On Dine Alone Records. Yes. Is there going to be a pre-order or anything like that? Yeah. You can go to Dine Alone and get all that stuff. Okay, so we're going to listen to that, folks. We're going to buy a physical copy to support our dear friend Jim here. All right? And then we got Friday beers. Is that every Friday? It is, yeah. Yeah. Jim, uh, Jim talks to the artists that he knows and loves and that many of us know and love. So tune into that on Instagram. Sometimes politicians, sometimes actors, sometimes chefs. Just people. 
who's like the most famous person you've had on? Have you had on like a famous, real famous actor or anything? Um, so Maddie Madison's pretty famous in the in the culinary world. He's yeah, a, he's a chef, and then I've had Beto. He's pretty famous. I was just now. gonna say I, that was my next. Oh, I was gonna yeah. say you have Beto O'Rourke on or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually where it came from. I did his Instagram live when all this stuff started, gotcha. and we used to go like we would have beers on Fridays when we're both in town. And he's like, "You should do, you should do Friday beers on Instagram." I was like, "All right." And then I did. I think I'm up to like. I don't know a lot. 60, yeah. 60 plus. You know, it's kind of like blew me away about him is that I, you're so used to seeing politicians from like, uh, you know, the chest up. And then I saw him yeah. standing next to other people and I was like, Oh my God, he's six, five. Like he's gigantic. Yeah. He's a really, really big guy. He's, oh, that he's tall? huge. Yeah. He's huge. Yeah. Uh, Jim, last time you were on the show, like I, I usually just hear people say Beto. But the way you say, you said like Beth O, I was like, I was listening back to it. I was like, did he say Beth O? Like what? No, no it's Beth, it's Beth, Beto. Beto. Yeah, I don't understand why people can't understand that. That's one of those common like, yeah, English things, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, Friday beers, every Friday on Jim's Instagram. We're going to check that out. Jim, how much, how much prep work do you put in it? Like there's none. a lot of work that goes into putting this. Did you say none? None. Nothing. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. I'll do anything. I, yeah, open, Tom, I open a beer. That's what I do. <laughs> Tommy, we're going to move to that format. I do. Yeah, but you guys do a professional podcast. So I'm just having a beer with somebody or Topo Chico or whatever they're drinking. Like, it's not the same level by any means. Like, I'm not putting myself in that category. I'm just fucking hanging out. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, well, Tommy, if we ever start a Patreon, we'll do like a Friday seltzer with, uh, <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll be like a more casual type thing. Almost nobody drinks on Friday beers except for me. Uh, <laughs> and people are always like can i do it if i do? and i'm like yeah it doesn't matter i'm just it's my excuse to have one beer a week it's, not, it's like it's it's just it's a chill old man thing to do do you only have one beer a week yeah usually wow i mean i have like you know my whole thing is i don't want to be joe perry right which is like where they had to tell him you can't ever drink again yeah. so i try and i try and keep it in bounds man i'm surprised joe perry was able to just stop on sheer willpower like that because yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes you hit that point. It just depends on the person. Yeah. I've taken huge amounts of time off, too, when I needed to. What's the longest stretch? A year. Shit. Yeah. It was just after, like, a really bad night. I played a show on my birthday, and I was super fucked up. And like, Oh, yeah, and you didn't remember it. Yeah, I didn't remember. <laughs> so you're like Tommy, Jim. Like, Tommy can regulate it now like yeah. he, he he'll stop for long periods of time or if he has a drink like he just has one yeah also have a good have a good partner in this somebody that can be like um that's super honest with me and will tell me like this is really unattractive or this is really fucked up that you're acting this way or this is really annoying you know what i mean like <laughs> i i just have somebody who can regulate yeah. you know what i actually had the last time i like really drank um i was at a family function and my family functions like Keith's are they're pretty, they're pretty booze addled. People are, everyone's drinking when you're there, like everybody's. Yeah. And, uh, my family are not beer drinkers. Everybody drinks liquor. So it's whiskey, vodka, uh, or, you know, like rum and Coke kind of stuff. And I remember I was having an argument with my sister and it was in front of a lot of people. Like we weren't having like a, like it wasn't like a real argument, but, um, the last thing I said, and I remember my wife grabbed my leg and she was like, 
you have to get up and you got to walk away from this. But my, my sister said <laughs> something and she, I don't remember the exact point she made, but I went, I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. And my <laughs> wife was like, get up because everybody started laughing and she was like, you just humiliated her. That was a shitty thing to say. And I was like, yeah, but it was funny. She's like, I don't give a fuck how funny it was. That was mean as shit. Like, that's not you. You're acting like a dick because you think it's going to get a laugh. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like my initial reaction, I'm glad I took a pause, but like my initial reaction was like, you know, I, you should probably shut up too. Like, but like, you don't think in the moment, like you just get, you think it's going to be, especially when you're like, at least in my drinking, it's like, I, I get so singularly focused on like being like, Oh, look at how funny he is. And look at how entertaining this is. And like, that's a great story. Yep. And like, you know, being that center of attention and yeah, when it, you know, it comes at the cost of like, literally like my blood fat, like my family's, you know, sense of decency or their their sense of like hey i was able to have like a, a a back and forth and you know we both walked away being like oh that was okay you know like we we you know we go back and forth and we have a good time it's all right we would just disagree about something like my thing was like i'm destroying her i'm i'm making a point out of this like i'm going to be obnoxious about it to the point where i literally hurt her feelings and i was like i, I apologized afterwards but in that moment that's one of those things i i go back to of I know if I get that kind of mindset of like, if I'm getting into an argument with somebody and I'm like, now I'm going to start dropping bombs. Now I'm going to start being real aggressive and taking their words and turning them around. And like, I, I go, you know what? It's time to take a step back because ultimately this isn't worth it. And on top of that, this can go poorly in so many different ways. And uh, also, <laughs> Nobody wants to hang out with that. Nobody, dude. nobody does. And I'm really, I'm, I'm so, I'm so blessed that my wife still wants to spend any amount of time with me. Well, it's just that dude for a moment, right? Oh yeah. And don't bring that dude around. Don't bring that guy to the party. That, don't invite that guy to the party. <laughs> guy's a dick. That guy, and that's the worst part is, is that the difference between that guy and normal me is like four drinks. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. But that's, yeah. that's super common. I mean, that's super yeah. common. And at least you recognize it. And that's, oh yeah. That's the important, and especially now, like with raising my kids, I'm like, I don't, I don't ever want to be that, like, I'm that dad that yeah, like, rough. yeah, like you're an whore. <laughs> like I, I know I was around my mom when she had too much to drink and I could see it and I would go, oh no, this is about to be embarrassing. Sparta. We're going to be doing some more Sparta at some point, right? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I never know. That doesn't mean no. Okay. Great. I just, I, I mean, I, I don't it know. It just means there's not an immediate plan right now. Yeah, I don't have any plan right now, but I'm I'm going to tour on this thing. So yeah, also I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So I don't know. <laughs> exactly, that's a theme we keep coming back to on the shows. All we all we have is today. All yeah. we know is yep. today. Tomorrow's not promised. Yeah. You might as well fucking live it up and have a great time and be as kind as you possibly can. Yeah, solid, solid advice. That's right. What was the line again, Jim, from uh, Paperfish? Oh, it's it just is basically saying I just want to die the best person I could be. There you go. That's the moral of the story. Well, Jim, listen, it's always a immense pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. And I just want to say thanks again for coming on the show and talking to us. I oh, appreciate it. Love to come back. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Anytime.
There you have it, folks. Jim Ward. Awesome guy. Super down to earth. Very nice to talk to. Can't say enough nice things about that guy. I'm excited about this solo record he's got coming out. I'm happy that he seems so excited about it. Oh, man, that was surreal. That was awesome. I I really, really dig his philosophy on life, which is I can't control other people's actions, but I can control my own. Yes. And I always want to be remembered and seen as the person who did the right thing. And you know what? That's exactly what I'm dealing with right now. Like the specific exact thing that I'm dealing with right now. And look, we have this podcast. Jim Ward comes on. We talk about this. I appreciate these moments. I was going to say, you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. Maybe that's what you'd write at that moment. Just to have someone say, hey, X, Y, and Z, like this is the way I would go about handling this. And then, you know, now you have a kind of set of tools to be able to kind of like cobble together what you really want to, what what you want to get across to people. I also like the thing. It's like, he's like very much, yeah, I'm going to be, take the high road with this. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to talk shit about people, but he's also like when people say, Hey, I don't like that Sparta record. He's like, cool. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I I really love that because there's part of, I, I think, well, you and I do this a lot when we th- we put effort into making things, whether it's this show or music or art, whatever it is. And then if somebody says something critical about it, our, my at least I know my initial reaction, I may not say it out loud, but my brain immediately goes to that hurt and I want to hurt you back. Yes. Yeah. That's an immediate yes. reaction. Same. Did you hear when he called us a professional podcast? I didn't want to like address that, but he he's like, yeah, you guys run like a professional podcast. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. Do we? <laughs> I, <laughs> no, we do. We do. I, I, it's just nice to hear somebody else say it besides me. And we, and you know what the, th- I, I actually was, uh, I, I told you that, well, you've done really well with kind of like educating me on technology, but uh, I kind of hid that podcast app on my phone. Like I didn't like I put it in like the, like I made a folder that just says unused and I put it in there. Yeah. And I listen to some of the other podcasts that are out there. Uh, they may talk about things sometimes that are, you know, on par with us or more interesting, but the sound quality of 99% of the uh, podcasts out there stink. They don't edit it. Well, like it sounds awful. <laughs> it's like My biggest pet peeve is the editing. Like there's one podcast that I listen to still. And they will leave in like, you know, like when they can't hear each other and they'll be like, what? Okay, hold on one second. Like, or someone comes in the room and they just leave it all in and I'm like, ah, like I want to edit this thing. I get that. Like it, there's something that's like raw about things like that. But there's also like, hey, you know, there's people listening on the other side, right? Like, yeah, you you can take the the time to just clip those things out even if they're choppy just get rid of them like i i, I never yeah i that. i get rid of all the overlaps and as i edit it the way i want a conversation to go i'm very to the point move through it quick hit all yeah. the points don't dilly dally you know just straight straight yep. through i like that i mean yeah. and I, I i've listened to the podcast multiple times where i've been like this actually sounds professional so i i i I get what he's trying what he was his you know trying to get across to us was like hey you guys run a tight ship and you're on remember what uh bo burchell told anthony to be pro 
You have to act pro. Like, oh yeah, that was from the Keith Goodwin one, right? Was that or did Anthony say that? I think Anthony. Yeah, I forget. I forget too, because for some reason that that's coming now, out. Now we're fucking key. it all up. We're not being pro. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, work. tell the uh, tell the story of you getting in trouble at work. <laughs> this is good. So, all right. So my school has all these COVID protocols in place. One of them is um, this machine that looks like an iPad that's mounted to um, a long pole, and it, it's right roughly about head high. And you walk up to it before you walk in the building and you, it has like a, you know, it's a just digital interface, but like you, there's like an outline on the outside of it that looks like someone's face. You place your face inside of that ring on the outside and it takes your temperature. So it gives you the okay of like, Hey, you can come in the building or no, you can't. Um, so my first day, uh, where I started interacting with it, because uh, it's not in the, the where the staff come in, it's like where the kids come in. So I saw it and there was nobody around. So I was like, oh, look at this. And I was like, oh, it says the lean in. And I followed the directions on the screen and it took my temperature. And it said it was like 97.6 or whatever, right? Uh, so it was cold outside and I had outside car duty and a wool hat on. So I was like, what if I like, is this just scanning my forehead? So I'm just going to rub my wool hat on my head really hard for a couple How of minutes. How did you like... <laughs> How did you even get this idea? Because did you I, want to see if you could get it like I wanted to over, see could, over the legal temperature? Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to make <laughs> it go. Hey, you can't come to work. So I was like, all right, cool. I want to like make it move. So I'm like, well, I don't want to get out of work. I was already there. It was the end of the day anyway. But you I just was like, wanted to see if you could. I just want to see if it worked. Like if it moved up and down. Like what would make it? You know, read a higher or lower temperature. I was kind of like playing scientist right there. I was like, all right, my my thing is, is it probably reads your forehead. I'm going to make my forehead as hot as possible and let me put it in front of it. So I did it and my temperature did go up and I did it again right after that. And all of a sudden I heard this voice that was like, please don't, please don't play with the machine. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) It works just like a ring doorbell. So there is somebody on the other side, the head of my IT department at school, who is literally watching me rub a wool hat on my forehead for a solid two minutes. And he's just like, yeah, it's not a toy. You, You don't have to play with it. And I was like, oh, I was just seeing if I could get the temperature. And he's like, yeah, no, I know what you're doing. I'm watching you. So stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hilarious. I didn't know anybody could see me. So, yeah, this poor no, guy. No, Tommy, what poor- are we going to do with you? I, I honestly, I, I don't know. And I, I really kind of thought to myself, like, I'm 39 years old and the their primary focus is not even yelling at the kindergartners in the building that are there. It's correcting my my idiot my <laughs> idiot behavior, <laughs> and I and I get paid to be there for goodness sake. Like it was well, really it was kind of uh it was a little demoralizing, but at the same time I was like, oh, don't ever let go of that childlike wonder, you dummy. Yeah, you shouldn't, and I'm not going to either. And listen, uh, I'm going to end it early today because I'm tired, I'm hungry, I don't have anything left to talk about. We've said it all, we've done it all. We have accomplished our goal for this week. I'm into it. I, I, I'll I be honest with you. I, if we end now, I can put the girls in bed. It's going to be amazing. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do it then. All right. We're back next week with a new guest. It's going to be great. We look forward to talking to you again. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Yeah!